Well, welcome to our service today. Thank you so much for tuning in. All of you who are watching online, we are so grateful to you. Thank you for being a part of this service. And for everybody else that is in person, we welcome our Darrington campus, our Sugar Land campus, our Missouri City campus, and Richmond Rosenberg campus. We are one church in four locations, and yay God for what he is doing here at Sugar Creek. This week is Thanksgiving. And I know we've had a hard year. I know it. It's been pandemic. I know people have had losses. They have lost family members and relatives. There's been difficulty financially. There has been so many problems. I know it. I know it. But the blessings of God have been even greater than the difficulties we've experienced. Count your many blessings. Name them one by one, and it will surprise you all that the Lord has done. We've got a lot to be thankful for. Did you know I woke up this morning, and I immediately realized I was still alive. The moment I woke up, and did you know what? I woke up in a bed that was soft and warm and comfortable. And did you know what else? I had breakfast today because I had food in my house, and it's my God that gave me the food. Guess what? When I got in my car, it started, and I had enough gas to get to the church, and according to my gas gauge, I have enough gas to get home again. And here is a shocking thing. Every time I have taken a breath, there has been air there. Our blessings are so amazing, we've just got to be willing to open our heart and our eyes and see all that God has done. And this is Thanksgiving week, and it is a time for us in the midst of problems and difficulties, but a time for us to say thank you to a God who has loved us and cared for us in so many things, so many ways. Now, look, I am hearing all of the, the, the words people are saying you are too. We got to be really careful over the next, especially six weeks, because this is a holiday season. People are together all the way from now until the New Year's, and we've got to be careful. We've got to be careful. We have to be diligent. Our church continues to be diligent, and we need individually to be diligent because what we're doing is protecting others as well as protecting ourselves. So be careful over the next several weeks. On uh, the Animal Channel, I don't know how many of you have ever watched the Animal Channel, but there was this show uh, a while back about a herd of buffalo, about a hundred or so buffalo in a herd and six lions. And the lions decided they would have buffalo for dinner today. And so they began to stalk the herd. And they saw one of the buffaloes that had sort of uh, uh, strayed away from the rest of the group, and they picked him. And they decided what they would do is get in between that one buffalo and the herd of the buffaloes. And that's exactly what they did, so that he had no place to go. And when they did this, then they went after him. Now, the question is, a big, strong buffalo, how is in the world to, does a lion take a buffalo down? Well, here's what they did. One lion went after one back 
a hoof and grabbed hold and stayed hold. He had grabbed hold with his mouth, his teeth, and he stayed there. A second lion grabbed hold of the other back leg and he hung on. Now this buffalo is so strong, he had the ability to take off and just bounce these guys behind him and he was running and, and they, but they would not let go. And after a while, even though he was big and strong, he could not keep up the pace and he could not keep up the weight of these two extra lions. And so he began to slow down to rest. But the moment he slowed down to rest, the other four lions jumped on him and they ate him alive. Meanwhile, the rest of the herd, when they realized it wasn't going to be them, all gathered and just watched what was happening to the other buffalo. And what do you think they were thinking? Better him than me, more than likely. But did you know that that herd had far more power than it realized? If the herd would have said, you're not going to eat one of us, and would have stampeded those lions, they would have run for the hills. They would have taken off. You see, this herd had a power they didn't realize they had. If they would have stuck together, they could have gotten rid of all these lions and they could have spared this buffalo, but they didn't do it. Mm -mm. They just watched. And that is what I want to talk to you about today. It's coming from the book of James, and it's the title of the message is Operation Rescue. We've been going through the book of James together pretty much this whole calendar year. Not the whole year, but most of this calendar year. And it was like James was written for a pandemic. James does not pull punches. He calls sin, sin, and sinner a sinner, but he also talks about how to overcome hard times and difficulties and stresses in our life and how to be victorious in the middle of it. And it is though James had written this book for us for this year. And now we've come to the last two verses of the book of James. And listen to what these two verses say. James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. My brethren, if anyone among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. The statement that James makes actually pushes us to ask and answer three key questions. And the first question is simply this, who are the straying ones that James is talking about? And I read some commentaries that said that the straying ones are people who do not know Christ as their Savior, and that we who do know Jesus should share our faith with those who do not know Christ so that they will come to know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. Well, there's everything right about that statement, and yes, we should, but it is not what James is talking about. James is writing this book to Christians. And he says, if one errs from the truth among you, he's talking about a person who has professed the name of Jesus Christ in their lives, but something is happening. They're straying from the herd. They're moving away. He is saying, we are to go after them. James is talking about Christians who have walked 
away from God. So now the second question, then what is this truth that the Christians have turned away from? It's the truth of God's word. You see, what happens is that sometimes a person will get caught up in a particular sin. There is something that they know is wrong, that God's word says is wrong, and they know it's wrong, and they've stayed away, but now they have fallen in love with this sin. They just crave the sin. They want this sin so badly, and they, they go after the sin, and then there is this shame, and there's this guilt that happens, and, and they don't want to be around other Christians now. They don't even want to be around God now, because every time I'm around God, I'm remembering the sin in my life. So I'm just going to push God away and I'm going to push other Christians away because of a particular thing that they have given their heart to and they feel ashamed and they feel guilt. There are times in which Christians that know God and love God, but they have something that happens in their heart that so breaks their heart, that so wounds them so deeply. And now, why didn't God stop this? Why? I prayed and asked God to do something, and he didn't do it. And I prayed for a job, and he didn't give me a job when I wanted it. I, did, I prayed, and God did not do what I asked him to do. And now there is a bitterness that begins to settle into their heart. I don't want anything to do with God now because I'm so disappointed. A few months ago, I was in a conversation that uh, was ongoing with a guy that, that at one time had professed Christ as his Savior, is what he said to me, and that he, now he's become at best an agnostic, and we were talking about this. And I was hearing his story, and we were dialoguing back to, uh, forth together. And then I just said to him, you know, I, I'm not making an accusation at all, so I want you to hear that. But I said, I've encountered so many people. You're saying that you have reached this point philosophically, that, that philosophically you're not sure that really God is there anymore. But i got to be honest with you. I've encountered people that say these kinds of things and what is actually happening behind the scenes is that there's some sin in their life and they're embarrassed, they're, they feel guilty, they don't want to be around God or there's some bitterness that has happened in their heart and disappointment and they, they now don't want anything to do with God. And I said, I have seen in many people that I've talked to like this that that's really what's going on behind the scenes. So is it possible that's what's going on with you. And he said, absolutely not, and blah, blah, blah. But he, you know, in a few weeks, he said to me, actually, you nailed it on the head. I just didn't want to admit it. Yes, there's some things I've given my heart over to, and I'm so ashamed and embarrassed, and I don't want to be around God, and I'm just thinking, if I don't go to church, I don't be around. And then I decided to come up with this story. <laughs> but actually... It's the sin in my life. There are some times that Christians get duped by other religions. Jehovah Witness is not considered to be a part of Christianity at all. And the reason is because when they see Jesus in their mind, Jesus is an angel that God, God created and then he repurposed, this is how they teach it, to come to the earth and be the Savior. But he is not God in flesh. He is not part of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Even though there are so many passages in the Scripture in the New Testament, but even in the Old Testament, that, that goes in that direction, but they explain one after another after another away, though they can't. 
And sometimes people get wrapped up in the Jehovah Witness thing and they go away. And sometimes it's Mormonism. And Mormonism is not considered to be a part of the Christian family. It is actually a polytheistic religion. It has who knows how many gods. And in fact, if you live good enough, you can become a god. And then when you die, you, you become a god. God will assign a planet to you and you'll be the god of that planet. And there is a council of gods who makes all these decisions. And where did all this come from? Not from the Bible. And sometimes people get wrapped up in other kinds of cults and things like that, and they get taken away. And this is what James is talking about here. And then third, what then is our role? If we see someone, we love them, and they've walked away for whatever reason, what is to be our role? We're to turn them back, not to turn them off, not to gossip about them and criticize them and berate them, but we are to love them and we are to turn them back. There were two guys in the early 20th century, uh, Philip and Jim, and, and they grew up in a little town in the United States with each other and they became friends in grade school and middle school and high school and went to college together. And both of them, after they graduated from college, joined the Marines. And of all things, they got assigned to the same company. So they fought side by side during World War II together. They were in a firefight, and the firefight was so intense, and they were losing. And so their commander uh, called for a retreat, and off they went. But when Jim got to the spot where they were retreating to, he looked for Philip, and he couldn't find him anywhere. And he knew Philip must have been shot. I got to go back and get him. And he said to the commander, I got to go back and get Philip. And the commander said, no, that would be suicide. You're not allowed to leave. But the moment that commander turned his back, Jim went after Philip. And he found him. Philip had been shot. Philip was on the brink of death. And he grabbed him up in his arms. And Philip looked into his face and he said to him, I knew, I knew you'd come back for me. And then he died. And now here comes Jim with Philip in his arms, dead, and he's coming toward that rendezvous, rendezvous area where they had gathered. And, and when they, all of them saw him coming across that field, his commander got so angry with him. And when he arrived, he said, I told you not to go. Look, he's dead. You couldn't help him anyway. And Jim said, you're wrong. I got there just in time to show him what a friend really is like. I came back for him. And this is what God is saying to you and me. Don't stand on the sidelines and you see somebody that has walked away. Well, I can't do anything about them. Yes, you can. A member of your family, a friend, somebody in your, your connect group. Well, I can't do anything about them. They've just disappeared. They've walked away. Yes, you can. And this is what James is saying to us. We have a responsibility to each other. We're family. To be there for each other. You can't decide for them what they'll do, but you can go after them. Now, James tells us what to do, but it is Paul that tells us how to do it. 
So what does Paul teach us? There are three steps we should take when we're going after someone that we love and that we're trying to bring back. And though we are not responsible about whether they come back or not, we're just responsible about loving them and going after them. And Paul gives to us the three steps. He says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering your own self, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. So listen to what Paul teaches us. He tells us how to do this. He says step one is that we must be right before God before we can help somebody else get right. We got to be right before God. And so he says there's a brother that has walked away. You who are spiritual, that's the phrase he uses. Doesn't mean perfect. He didn't say you who are perfect, it'd be none of us. You who are spiritual, meaning you who are close to God. You make mistakes, you sin, you have struggles yourself, but you love God and you are authentic and you're walking the walk and you're striving your best. You who are spiritual. Now, he gives us some instructions. Don't just take off. You who are spiritual restore such a one. How is it that we get ourselves ready, that we be a person that God could use to bring another person back down? Exactly what Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter 7 and verses 1 to 5, and look at what he said. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard that you use in judging will be used by you in your judge. And why are you worrying about a speck in your friend's eye? When you have a log in your own eye, how can you think that you're going to say to your friend, let me help you get rid of the speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye, you hypocrite? First, now notice how he puts it. First, get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Here is not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying, you see somebody that's got a problem that's walked away. Well, look, you're not perfect either, so you just don't do anything. <clears throat> no, he didn't say that. He says, no, you need to go after him, but the first thing you need to do is clean up your own heart. Get some things right in your own life. Take a look at the log that's coming out of your eye. You go get things right in your heart with God. You go see the inconsistencies of your life. You open up your heart to the Lord and say, oh God, here I am, and would you forgive me? Would you cleanse me? You get down on your knees before a holy God, and you let God clean out your heart, take the log out of your eye, and then you can deal with this speck in your friend's eyes. It's now time to go. But the first thing that must happen is you've got to get your heart right. You've got to be honest about yourself and get right yourself. It's been a long time since I've been on an airplane. 
And I don't know about you, but there's a lot of airplanes that aren't full these days. And I'm hoping for the airline industry that they'll be full again and they'll be uh, profitable again because we need that sector of our culture. Kathy actually has been on a plane. Her, her mom had uh, a hip replacement surgery and is doing fantastic. She's just amazing. She is one amazing woman. And, and, but Kathy got on the plane and she went to go be a help to, to her mom and her dad. And she was there for two weeks and I was dying here all by myself. But she finally got back this week. And in order to get there and come back, she flew on the airplane. She said to me, you know, I never felt threatened at all. I, I never felt like it was an unsafe environment at all. Now, the last time you were on a plane, you, you remember what happens. You, you haven't started taxiing away from, from the gate yet, and, and uh, the flight attendant, maybe may a male or female, now gets in front of you and goes through this whole act. You know what, you know what I'm talking about, right? Okay, do you see you've got these seat belts that are around you. See, one end looks like this and the other end looks like this. And, and you can put the seat belts together if you'll do this. And then when you want to get out of your seat belts, you just lift the flap. Oh, I thought you just tore the fabric. No, you just lift the flap. And of course, they do this for everyone who has not ever been in a car since 1965. And we have never, we didn't even know what a seatbelt was. Thank you so much. And then the next part, you know, the next part of the routine. Now, if we lose cabin pressure, oh, I was so hoping you would tell us about that possibility. If we lose cabin pressure, what's going to happen is, is that uh, these, these masks are going to come, oh, more masks, yeah, they're going to come down, and these are oxygen masks, and what you do is you put your oxygen mask on first, then you help the next person by you. You, you hear that, you're thinking, well, that's pretty selfish, isn't it? I mean, okay, I will save me first, and then if I got time, I'll think about you, but actually there is a reason for this, because there's no oxygen theoretically, and so you can't breathe. And if you don't have a mask around you getting oxygen, you could black out before you could get somebody taken care of. That's the idea. How many of you have ever been on a flight and the oxygen mask came down? Anybody in the room ever been on the flight? Oxygen. I don't see anybody at Sugarland. That's never happened to me either. Yay, God, never has happened to me. But the concept it's this, you can't help somebody else until you've got the flow of oxygen in helping you. You gotta get your heart right before you can ever help anybody else. That's step one. Step number two is this, have the right attitude. Having the right attitude is more important than having the right words. And I've had people come to me all these years and have said to me, <clears throat> I don't know what words to use. I mean, what do I say to a person? And you know, the truth is, I've thought the very same thing. What do I say? But you notice he doesn't even say anything about words. He says attitude. Make sure your attitude is right. You know why? A lot of people that are listening to us, are actually looking at our body language. They're, they are actually listening to the tone of voice. They are actually listening for, for things beyond words. Are you holier than thou? You think you got something better than me? 
It's attitude that people hear before they hear any words. And you know what the truth is? The more we have the right attitude, the more the words just come. And that right attitude keeps other words from ever being spoken. And that is what he's talking about when he says in Galatians chapter 6, 1 and 2, brethren of a man be overtaken in a fault. You who are spiritual, restore such a one with a spirit of meekness. An attitude of meekness. Oftentimes we think of the word meekness to be weakness, but meekness does not mean weakness at all. Jesus was meek, but he sure wasn't weak. And in the Old Testament, when it describes Moses, it says that he was the meekest man who had ever lived. But he wasn't weak. He led two million people for 40 years who griped at him literally every single day about something. He was not weak. He was strong. The word meekness actually means power under control. That's what the word actually means. And one of the aspects of having an attitude of meekness is to have an attitude of kindness, of kindness. Kindness does not mean that we pretend that wrong is not wrong. And today, there are Christians who's, who are misunderstanding the whole idea of kindness. Especially when it comes to the issue of sexuality, it seems, well, I want to be kind, I don't want to be judgmental, and so I'm sure that, you know, there was a day that that seemed wrong to me, but now it, 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 everybody thinks it's right, so I don't want to be judgmental towards you. Well, the, here's the truth. Kindness does not mean saying that something that God says is a sin is suddenly not a sin. Kindness means... I'm not, I'm not here to tell you how to live, but the Word of God is, and I am yielding to it, and I want to tell you what God, what God says about this, but it, it's in the way you say it. it. It's just like Ephesians 4.15 speaks about telling the truth in love. There's a lot of ways to tell somebody the truth, but when you do it with genuine, authentic love, they see that. And when you are sharing the truth and kindness, they see that. And another aspect to that attitude means being honest about ourselves and our own weaknesses. And this is what James is saying when he says this, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Two parts to that, at least that comes to mind for me. One of them is, hey, when you are dealing with another issue, that could be tempting to you too. You stand guard with this, lest you also be tempted. But another part of that is, don't you be haughty, but for the grace of God, there goes you. And by the way, one day it may be you. Be kind. Address this issue the way you would want someone to address it to you if it was you who was struggling with the problem. And that's exactly what he says in verse 12. Therefore, however you want people to treat you, so treat them. There's a third step. Be willing to get involved in the person's life. 
These are three steps. First one, get yourself together. And now come with the right attitude. You make sure that your attitude is right. Understanding your own frailties and understanding that one day he may be coming back to help you. But then the third step is get involved in the person's life. Bear one another's burdens, Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, and thus fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ is love. And sometimes the responsibility of love is more than one conversation. Get involved in their lives so that you can walk with them for a while and you can help them for a while. Get involved in their life to help them physically and even if it has to be financially, but get involved in their lives. I'm here for you, not for a little conversation, but I'm here to walk the path with you. Part of restoring a person is bending down and helping to shoulder some of the load. I'll carry some of the load. A whole lot of the reason that people don't get involved is that they don't want to get involved. I'm too busy. I got too much on my plate. I can't worry about you. And then there they go. Because we're so busy with what? Listen to me. Oftentimes, you and I go through things in our lives and they bring pain and hurt and struggle and, and we're going through them and God takes us to the other side of them and he has taught us so many things as he has done that. But now he wants us to use those things we've gone through to help somebody else who's now going through it because we do know how they feel. We do understand what they're going through. Maybe it's a divorce. Maybe it's the, the loss of a parent. Maybe it's a loss of a child. Maybe it's, it's losing your job. Maybe it's whatever it is, and you have lived through that, and you've felt the pain of it and the struggle and the hurt, and what do I do, and all the doubts, and you've gone through it. But now God has taken you to the other side. He has comforted you all the way back to wholeness. Now God is saying to you and me, use that example, that moment, to turn the tables to help somebody else going through the same thing. And this is how he puts it in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. All praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the source of every mercy and the God who comforts us. He comforts us in all our troubles so that these are two words are the key words circle the words so that it's the key words that all the passage pivots on so that we can comfort others when others are troubled we will be able to give them the same comfort god has given us and you can be sure that the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. So you have gone through hurtful times. Through painful times. And now you are seeing someone else in the church or in member of your family or just someone that God's brought you across their path. And now they're going through that very time. You can walk up to them. 
I'm here for you. I do know how you feel. I've been through this. God brought me to the other side. And I, I got to tell you something. I don't know all the Bible and I don't know everything to say and do, but I'll walk with you. I'll walk with you. And I'll help you with the same comfort God used to comfort me. There's so many of our ministries that arise out of our pains. And now we are armed with such ability, more than we realized, to be able to walk up to someone, I'll be here for you. So what happens when we decide we will get involved? We, we'll get our heart right with God. We will have the uh, right attitude of kindness and of meekness, power under control. And I will get involved in somebody's life. Listen to what James says. God's challenge to us to be willing to be used by him to restore someone else. And in James 5, 20, he says, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. He's not saying that this person who has walked away temporarily has lost their salvation. That is not what he's saying. The word save means to rescue. The word soul is actually psyche, which means who we are on the inside, our, our mind or will and emotions. You can rescue a person from continuing down a wrong path and losing the potential of their life and to bring them back into closeness with God again. So open your heart and do it. Get involved in their life. Maybe you remember the story that happened in July of 2002. It's called the, the Miracle at Kew Creek. And it was where nine miners, 240 feet underground. Can you even imagine this? And a cave-in happened and they were trapped. 240 feet under the ground. And in that cave that they were in, there was a collection of water. It wasn't totally covered in water, but it was a collection of water. And the water was at 55 degrees. And I know that it's not freezing, so it doesn't sound that bad, but they will die of hypothermia in no time in that environment. Why? Because our bodies are 98, and that water's 55, and it will begin to bring our body temperature down slowly but surely, and every single one of them knew they were going to die. The people up top knew that we've got limited time. We've got to get to them. So what these men did was this. When some guy was, it was, he was just getting cold, he was shivering. All the other guys got around him. They were all standing and they all hugged and as tightly as they could so that they would get each other's body heat and they would keep warming back up again. And then when the next guy, it was so cold, they would get together and they would warm each other up again. And they did that for three days and every one of them were rescued. And one of the miners named Harry said that everyone had strong moments and weak moments, but no one was on their own. It was always a team effort. And that's what God is saying to us. These are not strangers in your connect group. 
These are members of your family, your spiritual family. These are people who are struggling and hurting for whatever reason we don't know, but it doesn't matter what reason. We got to be there. We're stronger together. We're family. Can I tell you that during all this pandemic, and many people are back now. You just look around, all these people that are back. Many people are back now, but, but the same number are not. And sometimes what happens is we get disconnected from the body, from the, the warmth of the fellowship, and, and we begin to grow colder and colder and colder and further away from God. And we got to check in with each other. We got to help each other. We got to somehow make sure that those we know that are feeling isolated have a sense of, no, I haven't been forgotten. No, they care for me. We help them warm up, keep warm until they can get back. We're there for each other. And it's all our responsibility. It's all of us. Boy, I sure hope those preachers do a good job with this. No, it's all of us our responsibility. So online, maybe you're drifting away. It, I can't come to the church. I can't be with other Christians. And maybe you're feeling that spiritually you're drifting. Reach out to somebody that you know and love in this church or whatever church you're a part of and reach out and just stay in touch and spend time with God in his word. Maybe you weren't doing a, a quiet time alone, but now you've got to do that. You've got to do some extra things to keep your focus on God. Spend time every day in his word. Make sure that you don't let a Sunday go by, that you are not with the family. And make sure that you are doing the things that are helping you grow and mature and stay hot-hearted for God. And together, let's be there for each other. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word, and we thank you for the encouragement of it. And we ask, Father, that you would use us to make a difference in the heart of somebody else in this church or some other person that we know and use us especially, Father, for people who are walking away that we can help them. And though, Lord, none of us are responsible for their decisions, help us to be there. And we place all the responsibility from that point on in your hands to move in their hearts. But, oh God, use us. I pray, Father, for those who are watching online that there would be a sense in their heart of a need for Christ and never accepted Jesus as Savior, but they can now. And I pray, Father, you'd speak to their heart and the online Next Step Center, they'd reach out to one of our pastors. Or maybe, maybe they're, they're uh, here and they know Christ as Savior. They're online and there's a sense of drift and, oh, I just need to talk to a pastor of getting closer to God again. And they'd reach out to that online Next Step Center. Father, I pray for everybody that is in person that this would be a moment that they would turn their heart back to you and reach out to one of our pastors on all of our campuses in person at the Next Step Center. Take your word and bless, we pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen.